Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with my friend, Thomas DeLauer. Thomas is someone who I've looked up to for many years on YouTube. He's got something like three and a half million subscribers on YouTube, and he goes very deep into the biochemistry of what's happening with nutrition and movement and exercise science. And uh, this conversation is no different, but we added a little spin of getting into some of the psychosomatic components to health and fitness and nutrition. We also got into relationships. We got into emotional well-being. Uh, Thomas was 300 pounds in the past, and he lost 100 pounds in a year, and now he is obscenely jacked. He's been a cover model for all sorts of men's health, muscle and fitness, things of the sort. Not sure about both of those, but I think actually both of those. And uh, he's great. So I think you guys can really enjoy this conversation. I think you'll get a lot from it. Thank you for subscribing to the Align Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you for leaving us reviews. I read everyone. I greatly appreciate them. And thank you so much just for being here. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And let's get to it with my guy, Thomas DeLauer. Tommy D, we're out, we're out here. What's up? You weighed 300 pounds. For a while. Yeah. I only know you as almost like this perma cover of men's health and fitness, literally and figuratively figure in the world. I was so surprised when I found out that you were a 300 pound individual that had a secret addiction to uh, fish filet or chick filet or whatever. You'd like to drive. <laughs> Jack in the box. Jack in the box. Yeah. And you'd secretly drive across town shamefully and like stuff your face in, with Jack in the Box. Oh yeah, what the hell? <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, man, it's. Uh, I think there's a level of eating disorder that happens at multiple different levels, right? But also, um, when I say eating disorder, I just mean disordered eating, not necessarily like an actual bona fide clinical eating disorder, but being able to uh, obsess with food in such a way as I do now, there's, there's gotta be an equal and opposite reaction to that, right? Like, it's not like when I look at how I was then, I looked at food still as a tool, but it was a tool to help me feel better versus a tool to fuel my body. Mm. Um, so my, my alignment and how I looked at food was just completely off, but I was still seeking something similar. Whereas now I seek it for health and nourishment and for vitality and for looking a certain way and feeling a certain way. Whereas back then it was purely a coping mechanism. So my obsession, if you want to call it that with food hasn't really changed just the lens in which I look at it has. Mm. What do you think the root of, of that has been? Do you have any ideas? There's been a lot of work thinking about this. You know, I think there's a lot of different routes. Um, I think it probably starts mostly with my childhood, as does everyone's story. Um, my relationship with food was always kind of odd. My relationship with food was always predicated upon uh, performance. You know, I, I could have a good relationship with food if I was exercising enough or if I was moving around enough, uh, if I was running enough in particular. <laughs> So I think it kind of stemmed there, probably goes much deeper than that. In fact, I know it goes much deeper than that, but that relationship that I developed with food as somewhat of a reward 
really built this kind of awkward brick house in my brain, you know, as far as I'm related with food now, uh, still to this day, you know, how I look at food in almost an obsessive way, although I'm able to twist it and make it positive. Uh, whereas back then, you know, you're a kid, you're out of control. You don't know, you don't, you just aren't in tune with yourself yet. You just know the superficial response that you have. I feel good when I eat X, Y, Z, or I can't eat that unless I do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, so you've been through the mill of probably every nutritional fad and dogma and the roller coaster of ups and downs. And now it's okay to eat white rice. Now brown rice is better because it's lower glycemics. Now it's bad because it causes inflammation. Keto is the thing. Keto is not the thing. Like all of the different fads. It's just like this, what are those called? The little the little, uh, if you ever been to the sushi places where they have the conveyor belt of different sushi mm-hmm. that goes by and you kind of pick it out. Yeah. I feel like that's how nutritional fads are. Yeah. It's like, okay, now we're Atkins. Okay. Totally. Now we're carnivore. Okay. Now we're breathitarian for two yeah. weeks. Now we're, now we're fasting. Now we're like, what do you think underlies what's, what are the consistent threads of truth within the fads that perpetually are passing by and we'll just keep on passing by? Like where's, where does truth stand within that? I think truth stands within eating as close to the earth as you possibly can. Yeah. It's difficult to even discuss right now because you have an army of people that still think processed food is perfectly fine because at the end of the day, it all came from the earth at some point. Right. Um, But I think living as close to what came out of the earth in what form it came out of the earth is probably like the common denominator amongst all the groups that we can say, like, this is probably what should stick and everything else is a little bit of a revolving door based upon what research is coming out. We live in a little bit of a world of what I call knowledge porn and PubMed porn, where people just obsessively scour PubMed uh, to create content, creating just buttloads of confusion. So we don't know what is right and what is wrong. And I think people are at a point where they just kind of want to resign and just say, just I'm just going to eat whatever and see what happens. I'm just going to eat less and move more. And I think we need to elevate that way of thinking a little bit. So you look at the basic things that should probably stay in place, eating as close to the earth as possible. What does that mean? Meaning foods in their whole form. And I don't care if that's rice. I don't care if it's a potato. I don't care if it's a sweet potato. I don't care if it's a chicken, you know, whatever. Let's try to not adulterate our food as much as we possibly can. I also think that we're getting to a stage now where we're starting to understand how food affects our brain and how that can impact everything else nutritionally too. Uh, it's, it's probably safe to say that there's a, a big element of uh, individualized nutrition that comes into play, but I don't know if we're anywhere near understanding that. So what might work for you might not work for me and what works for me might not work for you, but that doesn't give us any answers. All that does is confuse us more. Uh, because then there's a belief system that goes along with it. Well, if I believe this food to be nourishing, it's going to be nourishing. If you believe that food to be nourishing, it's going to be nourishing. And at what level is there truth to that? And at what level is that complete and utter insanity? Right? Mm, Yeah. So you, I wonder within your quote unquote transformation, which is very literal, not quote unquote, it's like a literal freaking transformation, but I don't know why I feel resistant to when, when there's words that have been diluted and used over and over again, like transformation and whatever, I'm kind of like, um, but you had a proper transformation. Uh, how much of that is mindset? How much of that is, I would imagine there'd be a lot of 
renegotiation of your identity structure and who you who you identify as. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like how? Like if you're this person, you were a totally different person. Like you, you were, you know, how much do you weigh now? One seventy eight, one seventy nine. Yeah. Yeah. So you were two of you. You know, so what's what happens psychologically to make that shift, or was it just more that you changed your diet and changed your exercise? Yeah. Like, oh, what, no, what no. flipped the switch to actually begin to create those changes? Yeah, like what really flipped the switch, right? Like, we can talk about, yeah, sure, that call to action where I've talked about, you know, the guy seeing me in Jack in the Box, which I think that story has been told so many times. Basically, I got, I got kind of caught, you know, caught by someone that wasn't a close friend, someone that was like just an acquaintance that saw me stuffing my face with Jack in the Box tacos, and it made me realize that wait a minute, like I'm not hiding from anybody. But that was like the physical call to action. There was something deeper that happened. I don't even know the person that I was then. I've had so many different changes of identity, superficial identity throughout my life. And when I say superficial identity, I don't mean like what I look like. I mean, what I see myself as. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I've been talking, starting to do really the inner work to like see who, who am I? Who is Thomas DeLauer, right? Because what I've had is multiple manifestations of traumas and uh, certain things that just make me think I'm a certain person, mm -hmm. like even my childhood. And I don't want to get too woo woo and too off the rails. because I know you're not a specific question, but it's like, we look at so many people wrap up their identity with what they were as a child. Cause they're like, well, that's my roots. Bullshit. Mm. It's not your roots. That's like your, it's your childhood. It's not your roots. Like your, your roots are like your actual fucking roots and nobody really digs deep enough to find their roots. Right. Mm. So it's like who I was as a kid was like this kid that was running all the time, always running and always exercising, always, you know, with no idea why, other than the fact that it felt good and I was in control that if I followed that logic, then those would be my roots right now. And when every time I go for a run, I say, I'm, well, I'm just going back to my roots. No, I'm going back to my comforts. I'm going back to my coping mechanisms. I'm not going back to my roots. Um, so when I look at this identity, like what made me change, I just didn't want to be that identity anymore. It was like that easy. Mm. I was like, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. It's not that it's not like this isn't who I am. Cause I don't know who the hell I was then. Like, I didn't know. It was just like, this just doesn't feel right anymore. Mm. Like, why am I doing this? And I wish I had something deeper than that, but at a certain level that is deep. Cause I'm just like, I just don't like who I am. And I even did content surrounding that. It's like, it's okay. If you look in the mirror at one point in your life and you say, wait a minute, like, I don't like that. If you're real about that, you don't like something and you want to change it. That's okay. If it's done constructively, like it's okay to be real with yourself. Yeah. As long as it's not this distorted thing, right? Like I didn't look in the mirror and say, I looked in the mirror and basically was like, this isn't what I want to be anymore. Like that was a time of my life. Holy crap. I'm unhealthy. It's time to change. That's simple. Um, you know, nowadays I could say I probably have the same reflection in certain ways, right? Like this isn't what I want to be anymore. And can we just chalk it up to maturity? Like maybe you just go through life stages and sometimes those life stages consume you. And sometimes those life stages don't consume you and you never even realize they exist, but other people do. Yeah. Yeah. Gabor Monte, he has a thing where he refers to trauma it says trauma isn't the thing that happened. Trauma is the way that you organized around the thing that happened. Yes. So what you're referring to with like the roots, it's like the, the roots is, is deeper than your compensatory response to something that was too much for you to handle at some point. Precisely. And then it would be very easy for a person to start to live within that armoring 
that would protect the boy or the girl or whatever the thing is, you know, or, or that, that, that root individual. And now I'm a runner. Now I'm a bodybuilder. Now I'm a, a rock climber, you know, it's going to solve all, all your problems. I'm all these identities, anything other than that other part of me, which was a five-year-old, two-year-old, 13-year-old, 17-year-old, whatever, scared, uncomfortable, ashamed little boy, girl, you know, and, and in my experience doing some therapeutic stuff, I've actually been able to observe, I've talked about this quite a bit, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I've been able to observe those parts within myself. They like are still there. You know, so I had some stuff. My, you know, my dad ended up getting addicted to drugs. He went to jail. Now he's doing very well. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but it was around when I was 17 and in doing some of this trauma work with a therapist, I found when I think back to that 17 year old boy, uh, he's still hanging out. And if you can go into a deeper state of subconscious, typically with, you know, facilitated somehow with a person or whatever, uh, you can find those parts. And it's almost like I describe it as like reconnaissance of the soul. And you can go back and say, ah, that point where life was too much to handle and I just kind of hardened, you know, and I went the other direction. It can be almost like a, like a, like a split or like a divorcing or like a letting that boy behind. And I think as an adult, there's the opportunity to go back and retrieve all those parts in yourself where you felt ashamed, you felt afraid, you felt disconnected, and you made a split. We have the ability to go back into those parts and actually provide whatever sensations that little boy or little girl needed in order to actually really heal, in order to you know, feel loved and feel safe and feel connected. What do you, what do you think about that does that sound like some airy fairy woo woo shit? No, I don't think. I mean, you can make it as airy fairy as you want to make it. I think. I mean, you can make it as weird as you want to make it, right? You can distort the the discussion so it sounds super woo woo, or you can bring it back to earth and actually make logic out of it too. Um, I think we all try to cope with everything. Everything is a compensatory mechanism for us, right? We do everything just to get by to survive right and even if that means doing inner work at a certain level it's a little bit of a coping mechanism but when you look at like as a kid you just don't have the wherewithal to be able to look at something constructively but in some ways because you your walls are already broken down because they're not built yet i guess like you are also in your rawest form mm -hmm. so if Beautiful. you wanted to say like I'm getting back to my roots. It's almost like you got to go back to when you were three or four years old. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, go back. talk about that sounds crazy, right? Because you're like, well, who's, who's going to go and live like a four-year-old where you just didn't care. Like that's more your roots than, oh, I played football and I'm only happy when I play football or, oh, I was a runner. I was a runner because I got that blue ribbon and now I'm complete whenever I run or I'm this, whatever, whatever label you slap on yourself because it was your first feeling of comfort and control in response to whatever trauma or micro trauma. And you follow that thing and you keep wanting and you keep longing to go back. Oh, words can't describe how much I want to get back to this. Oh, I just, I wish I could do that because I feel so solid. When I, it's not denying that you feel good when you do that, but you, are you feeling good because you're scratching a dopamine itch because this is the manifestation of what you've created as your calling when it's really just your coping mechanism. Mm. Now, like 
that being said, like there are kids that probably do really understand their calling at a young age. It's like some you know, kind people that are just like, I just did this when I was seven years old and it felt right. And I just stuck with it and look at what, look at me now, right? That absolutely exists. But I'm talking about when someone tries to reflect back and they try to manufacture a feel good mm. out of something that isn't necessarily what they need to be looking for. Um, so I found with myself, cause I don't want to preach. Everyone's got their own story. Like with myself, I've had to just kind of reverse engineer and really deconstruct that because for the longest time I thought that running was it. And like, I felt like I was living in a big fake body because I'm like, here I am heavily muscled doing this when deep down, I just want to be a runner. I just want to run. And that was the path of least resistance for me. It was always easy to just get up and run. Like it didn't require equipment, didn't require a gym, didn't require a lot of thought. It was just back to mommy. You know, mm. mommy made me feel good when I ran. I want to run. That's mm. what I should do. Everything else is an encumbrance to my longing desire to run. The moment that I came to terms with that and I realized that, hey, running just fucking feels good. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Let's leave it at that. Let's forget the fact that it's satisfying some itch, right? It just feels good. And when I actually come back all the way and I think like, well, well who is Thomas DeLauer? Like, that that's the work that I'm trying to do, right? Like you talk to like any four-year-old, they're, they're just free spirit, right? Like they don't have a care in the world. There's not the pressures on them. So you can't get to the root of what's going to make someone tick by looking at a four-year-old, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we almost need to be able to deconstruct that subconscious. And I know that sounds super deep and it's hard to even articulate, Yeah. but I think we've got all these walls around us as humans with the world moving a million miles an hour that we can never really get there right? yeah. without the proper inner work. There was an interesting, I recently read a book called The Extended Mind. I don't remember who the author is, but one of the research studies they mentioned in there was uh, they had a, a group of subjects and then they had a computer game. And in the computer game, there's three different decks of cards. It was all about um, interoception, like, like feeling into their body and how their body can sense um, decisions before the the forebrain, before the like the neocortex analytical mind, and so in these three decks of cards, each each individual started off with like some amount of money. Two of the decks were rigged for negative outcomes, so they had more often lose in two of those decks. One of the decks was like a normal fine deck, and they connected the subjects to some type of like electrical conductivity something on their, on their finger to be able to, to, to measure electric charge from their, 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 their skin. And what they found within that was that the individual's bodies were able to detect that the two decks were rigged within, it was around like, like 12 tries or so of pressing it, their body would start to send this stimulus, this like gut feeling, this charge mm. where it's like, oh, like every time I would click on that thing, the body knew but the actual analytical cognitive mind didn't know. All, everyone in, in the group didn't know until it was 50 tries before like everyone knew. Probably some people detected a little bit earlier. People that were more tapped into their body probably detected it the earliest. But across the board, it was within you know 10 to 15 tries. Their body was like, there's something up here. Like we can, we can feel something within this. And then it takes the mind you know, two to three X that to be able to actually calculate all you know, what's actually happening here. And the reason I say that is I think that I can be guilty of getting maybe overly in the weeds of like therapy and inner child work and interpersonal, whatever. There's 
the reason that a person does that is to be able to have a more authentic relationship with their experience with their body because the body knows the body keeps the score you know Bessel van der Kolk book like seminal important book and if we can clear some of the static from all of our thinking mind and what we our stories what we think is right what we think we should do and get in just like what fucking feels good it might feel it might be running it might be playing chess it might be eating some type of food like intuitive eating like what feels good in my body but if you're so wrapped up in in pubmed and you're so wrapped up in evidence-based this you're waiting for some scientist somewhere to tell you how to live your life it's you're perpetually practicing being disconnected to your body and living from the mind and then you're just at the whim of everybody else you know, and, and I think if I feel like a, like a, a, an important path is to come back into the intuition of the body to make decisions such as nutrition, such as movement, such as relationships, such as all of the things. What do you think about that? Oh yeah, totally dude. Like, especially with, uh, and things get very, uh, confusing when you've got mixed neurotransmission, right? Like you've got all kinds of messed up signals from crazy hyperpalatable foods and things like that. So it's like, the, the decision-making with food becomes more and more difficult because you're, you're not eating to your authentic self. You're not eating truly intuitively in the same way that you're like PubMed poisoning your mind, you're PubMed poisoning your neurotransmission and your relationship with food, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and things moving at such a warp speed now with social media, we get even more disconnected with our gut feeling on something because our, our initial gut reaction now is to validate, validate, validate with something that's on the surface or something that's on our feed. We just validate quickly. Okay, well, that doesn't feel right, but I'm not going to like actually dwell on what my body's telling me. I'm going to I'm going to actually fact check my own body. I'm going to fact check my own gut feeling on this because I'm not going to trust my gut because someone online actually said something different that kind of stood out and I'm going to double check that. Oh shoot. Well, now now I don't know because I'm living in this dissonance between what my body and my gut is telling me and what the, my newsfeed is telling me. Yeah. And that's happening so fast now, whereas before, like, it would take some work to validate. It would take some work to quote unquote fact check. Now people can fact check and validate whatever. My dad used to have a saying and it was so simple, but it was so powerful because it was just always like, he's like, you can convince yourself to, uh, do or not do anything. He used to tell me that he used to tell me that all the time. He's like, you, okay, do you want to do it? Well, you can convince yourself, talk yourself into it, or you can talk yourself out of it. So have at it, (laughs) you know, like it's like making a pros and cons list. Right. And my point with that is that like your body is giving you a signal and it's telling you something just like you imply with that study. But at the same time, like when we have so much fuzz and static out there, yeah, noise, it's it's becoming close to impossible to resonate with that so that's my seamless segue into fasting perfect you like that i like that how do we clear the noise yeah what the hell is fasting what is intermittent fasting why does it matter where do we start okay let's just cut cut through all the bs for a second like fasting i think is important for almost everybody because it helps them develop a sense of mastery over themselves. Mm-hmm. Let's forget all the metabolic stuff for a second. Let's forget about PubMed. Let's forget about validation and double blinding ourselves with whatever we want to do to try to convince ourselves. Let's just be real. Is it hard to abstain from food for most people? Yes. Does that mean that it is going to be met with resistance by most people? Yes. 
all the more reason to friggin' do it. Mm. Do things that are difficult. You're not going to kill yourself. You're not going to hurt yourself by trying it for a little bit, right? You might kill a part of yourself. Apoptosis. <laughs> <laughs> nice one there. You know? Um, yes. But it's it, with that. And so fasting is just purely or time-restricted feeding is the absence of food or abstaining from food for a certain period of time and having consolidating windows. It's nothing else. I mean, we can go into the weeds. Trust me, I've done it. Like we can absolutely go into I'd the like weeds. I'd like to go a little into the oh, weeds. Oh, we'll go into the weeds. Yeah, we can, like go we can do it as much as you want. But, yeah. but at the basic level, it, we're not talking about even necessarily restricting calories. We're not even talking about anything metabolic except for the fact that you're taking a break from food and eating during a consolidated period. So mental benefit category, physical benefit category, spiritual benefit category, you name it. Also drawbacks. We can categorize those drawbacks in the same way. Uh, but nothing is enough to like take it to the bank and say that fasting is magic or fasting is terrible. Mm. Can we go through, so in your book, which I, I read your book and I didn't write the title down. I just have extensive notes on it. How's, what is the title of the book? The Intermittent Fasting Book? Intermittent Fasting Intermittent book. Fasting Made Easy. Intermittent Fasting Made Easy. I really enjoyed it. It was thorough as a mofo and like really digestible, which I thought was, it was very supportive. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you just creating that. Would it be possible to go through the cycle of what's happening? Like what is AMPK? What is your master metabolic uh, switch? You know, what is, what are ketones? What's glycolysis? What is gluconeogenesis? You kind of go through just to, so people can kind of have an internal sense of what is the bio yeah. chemical situation so we'll start with like ampk as what i do kind of consider the master switch yeah ampk phosphorylation is when you have restricted calories or been in a caloric deficit or an exercise induced deficit so much to the point where the body has essentially shifted gears and said hey like there's no fuel left now we have to flip a switch and start utilizing substrates that are in the body uh, already existing whether it's uh breaking down carbohydrates uh, out of the muscle, out of glycogen, whether it's breaking down fat, whether it's breaking down uh, free fatty acids into glycerol, whether it's breaking down proteins, the whole switch flips from using what I would call exogenous fuel from the food into in endogenous fuel. That's really that master switch. And what we're starting to see is that that master switch, that AMPK is much more of a dimmer switch than it is a light switch you know, common belief kind of makes it sound like a caloric deficit is a caloric deficit. And to a certain degree it is like, yes, the benefits of a caloric deficit, once you cross that line or in the deficit and the AMPK switch is switched slightly on, mm. you're in the green, like that's a great spot to be. And the benefits are all very, very similar. But then when you start to turn that switch more because you're going longer and longer and longer without food, Yes, the AMPK switch is turned on even more and more and more. So you have more substrate utilization. You have lower insulin. You have all these other benefits that start to occur. One could argue that they're still occurring as a result of caloric restriction, just at varying degrees. So no one's denying that caloric restriction is the benefit here, but it's the degree in which you are inducing caloric restriction that to me matters. Um, which is why, like, even if you're in just a slight deficit, I think it's very beneficial to go an extended period of time without food and then just make sure that you're eating adequate calories during the time in which you're eating. Even if your goal isn't to be in a deficit, 
even if your goal is to be at net neutral calories all the time, it's like it's still nice to put yourself into that self-imposed deficit for a period of time because of the benefits that come along with it and kind of furthering along. You know, glycolysis is where your body is utilizing carbohydrates for fuel. There'll be a stage early on in fasting where your body's kind of burning through all the, the carbohydrates that are left and things like that. Then you've got lipolysis, which is where your body starts to liberate the fatty acids out of the blood or out of the, uh, out of the tissues into the bloodstream, breaks those down. You start utilizing fatty acids. There's gluconeogenesis where the body starts to break down uh, the glycerol backbone of fatty acids, of triglycerides. So you have three fatty acids and a triglyceride and a glycerol molecule. Basically when you break down fats, glycerol is liberated. Uh, this glycerol circulates, goes to the liver, actually gets converted into glucose. The body has all kinds of really phenomenal badass ways of creating its own energy stores from all kinds of various energy substrates in your body. It's so cool. Including autophagy. And I know autophagy is picked on a lot. And yes, autophagy happens when we exercise immensely, more than than fasting. Autophagy happens when you restrict calories eating rice cakes. Okay. Autophagy certainly happens when you fast. Autophagy is where you basically have like a cellular recycling that's occurring where organelles, various components of your cells are essentially recycled, decrepit components of cells are broken down to fuel the more potent part of cells or the more powerful cells. It's like a survival of fittest mechanism within your body, where the weaker cells and weaker components of cells more so start to break down and other cells uh, or other components of cells take that as fuel. So you break down degraded proteins and dysfunctional mitochondria and dysfunctional uh, proteins in general, and you kind of refold and, and you fix the misfolding and the, uh, and you have folding and unfolding of proteins that form proper cells and mitochondria. You have this restructuring that occurs to create a stronger body. This happens when you exercise, it happens in caloric restriction, but why does everyone tout it so much with fasting? Probably because it's just so damn clear with fasting and probably because the explanation is just so cut and dry with fasting. Like you don't have to go into a deep AMPK discussion. You don't have to go into a deep caloric restriction discussion. You can explain it to a fifth grader and they will get it. You're not eating. So your body tries to spare life by breaking down things it doesn't need. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense if you explain it with fasting. So does the fasting community take autophagy too far with the discussion? Yeah, unfortunately they do. And sometimes it makes them sound crazy, but playing devil's advocate, it's probably one of the quickest and effective ways nutritionally to induce it. So it's not wrong to talk about it. It's in, uh, like, I'm, as you're talking about it, I'm hearing the overlays of, in, in most spiritual practices, there's been some version of, you know, go fast for X amount of time, you know, or go out and be with yourself in the woods for 40 days or 40 nights. Or it's like, it's like restrict, pull all that stuff away and start it from the beginning of the conversation. You're talking about tapping into that root aspect of yourself, like just the bare essentials of like of, of, of what matters for you and beginning to be able to release some of those other compensatory patterns that, you know, they're not really serving you anymore, but they're still hanging on. It's interesting as you're describing the process of autophagy and fasting and what happens through that. It's almost like you're describing the it's like a cellular story of what also has been suggested in the metaphysical spiritual realms for hundreds or thousands of years yeah absolutely it's man. pretty cool absolutely so they were <laughs> crazy that how ahead of we say ahead of their time right like how ahead of their time they were yeah 
they weren't necessarily ahead of their time. They were just, they just never lost touch of it. Like, right. Like they, they, they had it. We've lost touch of it. How do they know that? How do they know? How do, how do old, old ancestral people know so much stuff? We, we know so much little while, Dude, knowing, while knowing so much at the same simultaneously. The art of distraction is amazing, isn't it? Uh, it's the world we live in right now. It's all, everything's a distraction. Consumerism, everything. It's all a distraction. And I don't, I don't mean it's some conspiracy distraction to detract us from this, that I just mean life is full of distractions and micro distractions constantly, man. If you get back to just the bare bones of it and you go out and live in the fucking woods, mm -hmm. something happens like, well, you, well that, yeah, something happens, but like what distractions are there? Like the basic distractions you have are like, is that going to kill me or not? Yeah. That's it. You're left with this fundamental, how do I survive? How do I thrive? How do I get the fuck out of here? Or, you know, or whatever, right? So the all kinds of, and you're just not, you're not distracted with, I need to check my email. Mm -hmm. Not distracted with, I need to check the mail. Not distracted with like, you know, the conventional, um, just household, you know, like goals, the American dream, things like that, right? You're not, you're not distracted by that. So that leaves a hell of a lot more room to be thinking about this stuff, but more importantly, to feel it to follow that gut feeling. Mm. I bet you, if you took someone, you know, a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago that was fasting, the effects that they would feel that fast, probably immensely more powerful than what we would feel today because they had no other distractions. We can fast today and we can supplement mm. and substitute what we feel like we're missing with the phone, with a movie, with anything, going for a walk, hopping in the car, going to the store, shopping. When you're just faced with life and you're faced with the cold water, the trees and whatever's around you and you're fasting, how much closer do you get to that shit? Yeah. So they had it right all along because they could actually listen to their bodies. Mm -hmm. We unfortunately don't listen to our bodies anymore. We listen to what people tell us we should be hearing from our bodies and we listen to what we think our bodies are telling us. How does a person start to come back into relationship to, to be able to listen to the wisdom of the body? You have to get completely naked. You have to go into the forest. Nice. No, just kidding. I'll give you a good you sun. Your butthole is what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Finally, <laughs> the truth is out. Yes. <laughs> what do you think about sun in your butthole? Dude, <laughs> that's the kind of shit that gives the people like me that are a little woo woo witch doctory, but not all the way. Yeah. That's the kind of shit that makes me sound crazy too. I'm like, yeah. I don't sell my butthole. What about the balls <laughs> and the lighting cells and testosterone I production? I haven't seen anything that like makes that really make sense. I just seem, I just feel Maybe like just, there's like intuitively it makes sense in my, I mean, don't listen to me, you know, particularly anytime I say things like lighting cells or, or, or anything of the sort, just like tune out. Um, but it makes sense in my mind. You know, suns, waves, photons, energy stirs things up. Balls producing whatever it is, 93% of testosterone. Or whatever. How much, what's the percent of testosterone produced in the balls? Cells, know, all whatever, yeah. most yeah. of it makes sense to me. I don't know. I it, mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's not science. Makes sense to me. Well, yeah, podcast, not science, but like, you know, I could see there being something catching up there. I think that it would probably be one of those things where like, the occasional like sun hitting your balls has an effect yeah, sun a ball, but like not, but it's almost like you need to be like running at a big sprint, 
letting it all hang out and letting that <laughs> shit flop around and the amount of sun that the balls might get through the inadvertent flopping uh, that might be more realistic yeah like maybe it's just like maybe yeah maybe we're designed to be like naked occasionally in the sun yeah. but i don't know if we're supposed to be like spread eagle like having that shit hanging out because i like i i part of me believes like in the like in our ancestral time, like if they're like, you'd be the village weirdo, like yeah. probably, yeah. and you'd probably be the first one that they would eat if they had to go cannibalistic or something. So I, I, I you're like, oh, that's Jerry. He's like, oh, look at him a out great, there. A great sack. Yeah. He's that's just sunning his son in his sack. What is he doing? Sunning your balls is so, wrong. I don't want to be right. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that topic. to take a moment and share a free resource with y'all to sort out your movement that is starting the first free week of the align method online program where you get a thorough movement assessment to establish what is your personal movement baseline and then on top of that we share fundamental mobility techniques that will make a massive difference in your own personal practice if you do any type of stretching or yoga or foam rolling or resistance band training or training in general you want to get the most out of your body these are must know mobility techniques and then it finishes with a sit rise challenge so you can test yourself and see how effectively you get up and down off of the ground that is the first week of the align method online program it's a six-week program you can start the first week at alignpodcast.com slash a m p and with that, you will also join the free Align community where there's over 3,000 other members in there. So I pop in there each day, totally free. The first week is totally free. And then if you don't love the idea of continuing on with the six-week program, then you can cancel anytime. So check us out over at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. I want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors for disease and much more. The LifeForce Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a LifeForce functional medicine doctor, and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions, and uh, I was probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and i swear to god um i since starting these guys i feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad but it truly made a massive difference my word recall my energy levels my libido um has has significantly shifted since starting so 
I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. Com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E dot com. And then use align code at checkout for 15% off. And that is a very meaningful 15% off as well. So I can't recommend it enough. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey. Jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15% off. Yeah. So the, all right. So something in relation to the fasting stuff that I think is interesting and confusing the difference between caloric restriction and fasting. What is the difference between a person that eats 400 calories of Snickers bars a day compared to someone that chooses to fast in a day? Yeah. I mean, if someone's, I think, first of all, micronutrient density matters. Yeah. And I think even the people that were very like, if it fits your macros, is the only way, which by the way, I have something in common to make on that later on. So hopefully I'll remember you bring it up, mm. but I think, you know, micronutrient deficiency matters. I think like, you know, if you're eating Snickers bars, you eating 400 calories of it, you're, you're looking at one, one piece, albeit a very important piece, thermodynamics of the human metabolism. There's a lot more going on than just that. Right. I'm not saying that fasting is going to be better than anything else. Certainly better for some people because they can adhere to it better. The, the longest fast, you, I'm sure you know the guy's name, is like 370 days yeah. or 355 yeah. days or something like that. And he yep. weighed like 300 some pounds and he just he just lost all the weight and he was he was medically supervised the whole time and fasted for a year, medically supervised, just drinking water from my understanding. And uh, he just became this healthy, vibrant individual. Yep. What would have happened to him had he each day had like that in being one situation, one variable compared to the next one being he had four to 500 grams or calories of Snickers each day. And he just had a little bite of Snickers throughout the day. You know what I'm saying? I can only speculate. Yeah. I can, there's a few things that would happen for one. Let's just address the basic elephant in the room that can make everybody happy. And that's the fact that there would probably be a rate of slowdown of his fat loss of his fat loss because there's a thermic dynamic dynamic equation there, but I sincerely believe, and I could be wrong that his weight loss would have been stalled much more so than just what you could calculate upon the calories that he took in. Mm -hmm. You know, if you calculated that he took in uh, 500 calories a day from Snickers and that's, you know, let's just purely hypothetical number here. Let's just say, okay, well that's, you know, 40,000 calories per year or something like that. And you calculated that's X amount of pounds of fat. He would have lost 15 pounds less fat if he had 400 calories from Snickers each day. My guess, my hunch is that he would have lost a lot less than just that, right? He would, that would have, by consuming that Snickers bar or 500 calories of Snickers every day, I feel like it would have impeded his weight loss more than just what you could equate by the calories that were added in. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the calories are the only factor there with that, especially with that length of fast. With that extreme of a fast, there are very clear things going on. You know, you your insulin levels are like nil. When your insulin levels are that, that low for that long a period of time, 
I can't even begin to tell you what other hormonal cascades and what other crazy things are probably happening. The degree of lipolysis. Lipolysis is something that gets inhibited whenever insulin is present. So if insulin is present and it inhibits lipolysis, it stops fat loss or fat mobilization from occurring. Just by looking at physics, we understand that there's going to be sort of a mobilization. Like, so like if you were to impede fat loss by spiking insulin, every time you do that, you're slowing down the ramp up of lipolysis. So there's like an afterburn sort of negative effect that happens there. And what I'm implying with that is that sure, like you could say he ate a total of 20 pounds worth of fat in terms of calories from Snickers. So he would have lost 20 pounds less fat. No, I think he probably would have lost like 50 pounds less fat. Mm -hmm. How do we explain that? I don't know if we can, but I think there's more to it than just the calories and disclaimer. Calories are still important. They're still a big part of the equation. But there's also triggers within the body. There's other things going on that we just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The trigger part is the reason I'm asking that question. I, I think it probably would have been more intelligent to me to replace the Snickers with like an apple or, or apple, 400 calories of apples or some kind of like health, quote unquote healthy well, sugary and we can, food. And we can be very real and say that if he had that Snickers, it would have been a very miserable year. Yeah. He exactly. would have been hungry. That's he what would I'm have, getting at. Yeah. He would have been wanting to eat all the time. Yeah. He would have had blood sugar rises and falls. Um, from the case study that I've read with that, the guy felt amazing. Yep. Like he said, he only felt hungry for like the first three weeks or something. And then after that just felt fine. His sleep regulated, like he fixed a lot of his biomarkers. So interesting. Like, and then like, yeah, totally. Like having a lot of central adiposity, having a bunch of fat on you is going to cause a lot of metabolic issues. And it's going to cause like your blood lipids to be completely dysregulated and dyslipidemia and hypercholesterolemia and all this stuff. Right. But how much of it, how much of his changes can we attribute to the absence of adipose tissue versus the cellular effects that happened as a result of fasting? Like we can't measure that, but I can only assume that it's not just because the fat is gone. I can also assume that there was a pretty serious hormetic stressor that happened by not eating for a fucking year. Mm. What do you think about ketones and ketosis and keto diet? And it's another one of those in the, the uh, sushi poo-poo platter conveyor yeah. belt thing. It's like it's passing through. What are, you, what's, what's, what are your, your, your feelings no, on that? Nothing irritates me more in our industry than when someone calls like the keto diet a fad diet. Was it, was it, did it become a fad? Well, yeah, but I certainly never saw it as a fad. Just like, I mean, I don't want to sound like a conceited dick, but I was doing keto way before it was cool. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it seems pretty ancestral. Keto is legit. Yeah. Dude. Like that is the thing. It's like, dude, if you're going to talk, like I, I like, that's the stuff that I see. Like, Oh, like about me, like Thomas and I, yeah, we're going to take advice from the guy that talked about keto. Like, like, like I was just cherry picked it because it was, cool to talk about. Yeah. I still talk about it. Like keto saved my freaking life. Keto saved my wife's life. My kids would not be here if it wasn't for keto. My wife could not get pregnant until she was on keto and it fixed her shit. Do I have explanations as to completely why? Trust me, I've tried. Why do you think I dedicated my life's work for so many years talking about it? I was trying to reverse engineer why this shit saved my wife so much and nothing 
you're not going to piss Thomas DeLauer off more than by going for my fucking family. So when you inadvertently like call keto a fad diet or, or, or bullshit, you're cutting at my family and shit that saved my wife's life and gave me the ability to have two beautiful children. And like, I will die on that hill because are there people that take it and make it a fad? Dude, totally. It's annoying. Just as annoying as the people that say keto isn't a real thing. Right. And I mean, it was around in the 1920s to treat epilepsy. A lot of people know that, but I mean, that just demonstrates its power against neurodegenerative conditions and against epilepsy and these other neurological issues. And when you look at the guy that lost all that weight with fasting, like at that rate, he's absolutely positively creating ketone bodies, right? You're creating ketones whenever you're in the absence of glucose, absence of fuel altogether. Ketones are a survival mechanism that are put in place by our body to give us an alternative fuel source when glucose isn't available. You know, we now see that there are very interesting thing ha things that happen when ketones are present. Histone deacetylase inhibition, you essentially unlock genetic code, like fucking crazy cool stuff. Mm. Is it a cheat code to life? No. But the people that say, well, keto just works because it's another form of caloric restriction for a lot of people. They're not wrong, but that's not the only reason it does. It just works. Like for some people that are severely metabolically deranged, I think it is like unlocking something within their metabolism that is severely distorted. Mm -hmm. And you can tell I get passionate about this. Why do ketones make you feel so good? Because and, and, and what are they exactly? They're producing the liver. Yeah, they're producing the liver. Uh, they're produced basically. They've got three different types. You've got beta hydroxybutyrate. Uh, beta-hydroxybutyric acid, you've got acetoacetate, and you've got acetone. Those are the three ketone bodies, and they are formed uh, when a fatty acid essentially goes to the liver and it gets manufactured into a ketone body. Running on a ketone is different than running on fat. Uh, like Cells can use free fatty acids, but cells can also use ketones. Ketones are a very clean-burning fuel, and they're designed to be a clean-burning fuel because they're exceptionally efficient to aid you in a survival situation. When I say survival, we have to remember that from an ancestral stand of standing, like there were probably copious amounts of time where the hum humans were just in a ketogenic state. Yeah. Winter time when there's no fruits, when there's not a lot of nuts, when there's no grains, and they're dependent upon killing some a mammal or a fish, and they just live in the ketogenic state throughout the winter. So our bodies are clearly designed to go in and out of ketosis. That's where I like to be. I like to go in and out. I don't like to live there full time. I don't think that's historically accurate nor good. That's when the fads and the dogmas get confusing for people because yeah. it becomes an absolute. Yeah. It becomes this tribalistic thing and an identity thing. And it's like, it's actually your metabolism and you know your life is much more flexible than, than what some type of Dude. quote unquote fad or dogma, dogmatic trend would, would suggest. And almost any athlete that's like worked uh, that has athletically challenged themselves for over like an hour and a half in one time and one sitting has experienced the creation of ketone bodies. Like once you've drained through glycogen and available glucose stores, newsflash, you're in ketosis. So you're going to start talking smack on yourself because you're producing ketones. Like where people like to talk smack is because people just get so dogmatic and they form an identity around it. Talked to Zach uh, Tallinger about this. This was really interesting because he kind of likened it to like um, a band 
And I thought it was really well said. It's like, you know, you find a diet that works for you, changes your life, and you become so dogmatic about it because it's, it saved you. It's like, you know, the 13 year old kid that's just functional and he's like, yeah. metal saved my life. Like listening to metal saved my life. And it might've like listening to that metal music might've kept him from committing suicide or something. Like it's, it's a real deal, man. Like being able to feel hard and feel like hardcore and like do that, like that can help people. Yeah. I played in a reggae band and a punk band for so long. Right. Like, I so I was a drummer and I was like, and, and I remember the play playing in a punk band and just being like, like, I probably said, probably did save my life. Kept me off drugs for sure. Yeah. You know, and it was, <laughs> but I don't sit here like being indebted to it, being like punk's the only way. I don't even listen to punk anymore. I still listen to a shitload of reggae. It was just a way. It was just a way, right? Yeah. But for people with a diet, I understand how that happens. Like oh, yeah. they're like, keto saved my life. Yeah. Keto's the only way. Same thing happens with ayahuasca, yeah. mushrooms, whatever. Yeah. You have an experience like, oh my God, everybody needs to do this. Like, maybe not. Yeah. I like the way you said it before you're we talking. <laughs> it's like, maybe that's your way. Maybe that's how you can change the world. Maybe that's how you can help other people. Yeah, maybe just you need to do it. And that was the way it was that's for okay keto for too. me. Like, it was like, you guys can like shit on me all you want about keto. Like if I help the right people discover something that works for them so that they can be more effective people and so that they can change the world, dude, my job is done. You don't have to care what I say. You don't have to believe me. You don't, you can think I'm nuts. Like there's one thing that I have conviction in and that is this because I personally witnessed it work. And you might like, I saw the friggin' Blair Witch. I saw the shit that you don't think exists, right? And there's gonna be certain people that don't believe me and certain people that are like, yeah, I'm gonna try that. It worked. And guess what? Maybe that person goes on to change the world. Yeah. Maybe that's a maybe that's a brain surgeon that saves the the brain of the most critical thinker that we need in this world, right? My job is done. And it's uh, but it's so easy to become tribal and dogmatic about that and preach it as the only way and just be like, hey guys this friggin' works. Why don't you not completely keep it out of your mind and keep it as a viable option for if you ever do need it and yeah. don't talk shit on it because it might save your life one day. Yeah. I grew up with, you know, religion. I grew up very much involved in Christianity and it's now I'm coming more in a place where I active, I get this from Russell Brand, but I'm actively looking for what's right within Christianity and looking for what's right and because it was very easy for me to go to this other like the pendulum swang one way where i was done bible studies and i was like mr jesus guy and like that was my vibe for up to like age i don't know 16 or something and then i was kind of went this other direction where i was like oh no i feel like i've been lied to you know and i was feel like oh no i feel like like some of my belief systems it's like you know indoctrinated from family and whatever and i didn't i don't feel like i got the whole story and then i was almost like angry a little bit or like maybe like subtly resentful and then it was became very anti for a while. And now I'm kind of oscillating back into like, well, there's a lot of value and, you know, and the values in the Bible, like you could live your whole life off of most of that, that there's some, there's some iffy things throughout there that maybe for sure related, to yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, not stealing from your neighbor, not killing anybody. Yeah. Tools you know, the, in your toolbox, man. Tools in the toolbox. And so, and so that would be a good example where it's like, you don't need to take every last detail from that and take it as, as the gospel and take yep. it as literal but you also don't need to throw it away entirely, you know, and that's what we can do within the dietary trends as well. It's like, Oh, there's probably a lot of good stuff in all of them. It just becomes more of this tribalistic type thing. I think ultimately people are probably just trying to seek community and trying to find like some place in the world. Like who am I? And yeah. if you can find a place where you're like, you feel actually connected to community and you feel comfortable in yourself, there's probably less of a, an initiative to want to, uh, poo poo on other people and 
you know, need to try to fit into something and you'd probably come back again to like listening to the body a little bit more. Well, we, we have this, feeling. we have this inherent desire to seek community around food, you know, like for as long as it's written in the history books, food has been a communal thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking without social media, like in a, in, you know, some ancient village somewhere, like you get a kill, you harvest, whatever, you're all going to gather around the same meal. Everyone's having a, essentially the same thing. And there's just practically an orgy going on around it. And I think we seek that as people. And I think that's human nature. And I think that's fine. And I think that's the tribalism and the pack like mentality. That's probably fine. Happens in the animal world, right? Like look at wolves. They all work hard for a kill and they all enjoy that. And they all celebrate. And we have an inherent need to celebrate over food. And we have a disconnect now because we're all not connected. And we have options. We have grocery stores where we can pick and choose based upon our likings. So that means suddenly we've created a divide because at one point, two people that ate the same thing went to a grocery store and one person picked Fruit Loops and the other picked Cocoa Puffs. And then from then on out, like, wait a minute, we've got new tribes, brother. You're the cocoa man. I'm the fruity man. <laughs> and that's how it's going to fucking be. But it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And convening around, a, you know, like if you go to Morocco or they, they, the way that they eat out of a tagine would be a common meal. And it's a, it's like a big plate and you, everybody gathers around. It's this big circular dish. All the food is cooked inside of there. It's a bunch of spices. It's great. And then everybody grabs the, the, the bread. It's called, I don't remember what it's called. It's not doll bread, but something like that. And you together around a circle, everybody grabs bread and eats out of the same, same bowl. And you're on the floor and you're probably on some circular table and it becomes this connection device. It's like a vehicle for connection. You know, and I think that that's, I think we're there's perhaps still some patterns within ourselves where we're like seeking that. I know I am, dude. <laughs> you know? I know. And I now am. we're and now we're disintegrated by living in you know, your your one bedroom apartment someplace by yourself or in your nuclear household with your family up on a hill someplace. You know, and you have these these relationships on the internet that are kind of it's like you're eating the, the menu instead of the meal. We have, yeah, uh, Alan, that's an Alan Watts analogy. You know, and you're, I think we're still seeking that sensation of like, oh man, like gather around the table and we're eating out of a bowl and we're making eye contact and we're connecting. You see the long, the longest longitudinal study, the Harvard, I think they call it the happiness study that I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. in that, that was the, the most impactful factor for people's longevity was just the quality of their relationships and community. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that they were in keto. It wasn't the fact that they were fruitarians. It wasn't the fact they were like, whatever it was. What was that sensation of feeling like I have uh, a, a responsibility within my tribe and I have people that depend on me and I depend on them. And we have these interpersonal relationships that actually matter. Dude. That's like, Whoa, that's like, it's legit nutrition. And we're bickering about whether we should or shouldn't eat apples. Dude, for sure. I'm the guy that wants to be in all the tribes, man. Like I want to be in all the tribes because, and like, I feel like they all have something interesting to say. And like, you know, what would suck is like, what if you and I were like bros, we were super tight and we just were like hanging out for like five days out in the woods, smoking peyote or doing whatever. Dude, I love this story. <laughs> Dude, you just, you just manifested, so, man. Uh, I see it. 
let's say, and then, but we weren't eating anything. We were just like fasting and smoking peyote. Mm. And then we this is great. come back. We're like, let's go to Whole Foods. Mm. And uh, we go to get some food. And I find out you're, you're vegan. Oh, bro, it's over. And you find out that I'm <laughs> You know what sucks is that like, there's a good chance that we'd be like, fuck, like we can't be friends. Yeah. Like, or like society says we can't be friends. Like, or like we would feel like there's a disconnect over the communal aspect of food and how much, I mean, you and I are probably like, pretty analytical like intellectual people that i would like to think that wouldn't get in the way of like you and i yeah. but let's pretend like that's a normal situation people that aren't in our industry and don't think about this stuff for a living um i would imagine that would throw a wrench in the relationship mm -hmm. because we put so much emotional stock in our food yeah, it becomes ideological yeah becomes like a part of your identity structure. So like dude our entire trip up to the Sierra Nevada smoking peyote just went to shit because you're a vegan. Yeah, why did you make me the vegan? <laughs> Cuz I don't know. You just, you're a little more jacked than I. You got a beard. <laughs> I could I could see that. Yeah, I love my I love my vegan friends. I love all all the, like it's it's just it's the it's the judgment part, you know, and the divisiveness and you know that's I think that that's the 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 root of all of it. If we can just come together you know, and connect yeah. with each other and see like there's with most situations, we're more similar than we are different. Dude, dude. I mean, and even with nutrition, it's like, we're, we're all like 90% there. Yeah. And then there's this like 10% Delta where we're just like, throw it all in. I mean, there's obviously extremes. I mean, obviously carnivore and like vegan are not only 10% different, but at a lot of ways, they're still nourishing their body. Their body's still producing glucose. Their body still needs fat. Their body still needs the basic thing. So on a lot of different levels, the inherent need for the food is the same. And you know what else is weird? I'm going to give a, like, I mean, a shout out to like this friend of mine that I like, I, I've been wanting to just bring regular people on my channel, like Bob from the warehouse, like, because like they oh, have that. like the best stories, man. This dude, his name's Grant. And I'm going to send this clip to him because he's going to be happy that I just mentioned him. Like he's personal trainer in Monterey, California. He has no desire to like grow his social media or anything like that. He's a solid dude. He's probably mentally healthy. Very mentally, mentally healthy. He's been around the block. He's struggled with addiction earlier in his life. And he, he's just like a solid person. And I consider him a very close friend and probably one of my best friends. And he just, um, he mentioned something to me where he was like talking about our inherent need again to celebrate over food. And he said something so smart. He's like, man, like, dude, if there's a Twinkie on that table and that's all that we have to eat and otherwise we're going to die, we're going to celebrate subconsciously, inherently, because that is, that food is going to keep us alive. And that's what makes food such an, a dangerous drug is because we have like a natural need to celebrate whether it's healthy or not just deeply rooted in us because it's keeping us alive. Yeah. It's saving our life. And how it's like if you were about to fall off a cliff and get eaten by an alligator and like Mother Teresa came by and grabbed you and saved your life, you'd be feel very indebted to her. Mm. If you did the same thing and Jeffrey Dahmer saved your life, you'd still feel indebted to Jeffrey Dahmer. That's why you it's, do grace before you eat. Yeah, exactly, man. It's like all the research is like you, gratitude. It works. Yeah. Has, be grateful for your food. actual material physiological effects. Just allow a little gratitude to pass through you. So do you think at like a very, well, I mean, this is the, yeah, I mean, at a very core, deep, deep level, we say like, whether it's shit food or not, 
we're celebrating a little bit inside and we have sure the fireworks that are going off in our brain, the dopamine and serotonin and all the hits that we're getting. Don't get me wrong. I think that's different. I think there's like something deeper going on that every little like micro fraction of whatever we eat, it's satisfying something in us that makes us feel like we did the right thing and we should celebrate this, which makes it an impossible addiction to, to handle given the tools we have right now, because like everyone's going to celebrate internally when they eat, it makes it. And when you have an appreciation for that, it actually gives you an appreciation for how you can control how you look at food. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, ah, I'm going to feel about that the same way I'm going to feel about that at a very fundamental biological level, maybe not at like a biochemical level and energy balance state and whatever, but like the actual reward system within my brain, it just, man, like, he didn't even mean any deep thought by it. He just said it. And sometimes the best things in life that really mean the most are the things that are not like, oh, yeah. they're just casual conversation. I'm like, dude, that's, that's important shit that you just said. What do you think of the milkshake study? 40, 46, 46, I think it was 46 subjects. They measured leptin, ghrelin. Well, I think ghrelin was the main thing. So it's like a, a hormone that's responsible yeah. for satiation. Yeah, it was like, what was they, they found that like, it was like, ghrelin levels like it was like decreased in like a certain percent of them and then like i don't know if the, too much about the study i've seen it floating around social media i mean the general the general concept of it is there was there was two milkshakes one was considered wildly indulgent one was considered yeah. kind of basic healthy whatever uh the reality is they're both the exact same milkshake they had two, two different groups and then the people that were drinking the indulgent one ended up having increased or decreased levels of ghrelin so decreased or increased satiety decreased hunger yeah because of the perception that I'm eating something wildly yeah. indulgent. Yeah. So yeah. as an example of that psychosomatic relationship of, of your thoughts and perceptions actually have tangible material physiological effects. Yeah. So we saw this with the, uh, with another study that was like looking, uh, uh basically at, at gut biome too, is a very similar study, which was very interesting. So the holes that I poke in that are like, okay, well, microbiome, um, and looking at like continuous glucose monitoring and stuff like that, the microbiome can also dictate who responds in certain ways to food. So that's my beef that I have, because I, I don't know the intricate details of that study. I just saw, have seen it floating around for a while. It's like, we don't know a lot of the other details because when we look at the, I can't remember the name of the study, but essentially it was, it was like 800 people. They put continuous glucose monitors on them and they were like, some you know, eat bananas, cookies, whatever. Some responded great to bananas. Some responded great to cookies. Uh, and they say they evaluated the same thing, like subjective feelings of like satiety, subjective feelings of indulgence, this and that. And it was more closely tied with their gut microbiome than a lot of other things, like the, the diversity of their diet and also the bioindividuality of like how some person could respond to a cookie. So with that, we don't know though, is their microbiome and their perception of food connected too? Because you got to remember too, like how much the brain affects the gut and the gut affects the brain and our stress levels affect our gut bacteria. Our gut bacteria affects how, we, what we actually utilize and extract from nutrients and for, from food, postbiotics, uh, which is basically things that happen after we consume a food and like certain populations will extract certain nutrients from food that other populations won't. Will certain, certain nutrients trigger that ghrelin response and certain nutrients won't. Leptin, ghrelin, uh, cholecystokine, and all this stuff, right? It's the most bizarre thing. So it just muddies the water even more. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at Angela Duckworth's work where she starts looking at like uh, perception of stress, you've got more data that's starting to stack up in, in like sort of where you're leading to you're you're in your favor in terms of like perception being important because i'm a big fan of angela duckworth some people call bs on it i don't think there's bs on it i just think it needs to be 
you know, we need to dive into it deeper. Um, cause it basically implies that it's kind of like Tim Ferriss's you stress, do stress, distress thing. Mm. Uh, and I've always used the analogy of if you have a seven year old boy that's excited to go to Disney world tomorrow and he can't sleep. And, but then you've got a seven year old boy that maybe, I don't know, it's really stressed out because mom and dad are fighting, right? Stressful situation for the kiddo. Well, the cortisol response, the catecholamine response, the stress response is eerily similar between the two. Mm. That's what's freaky is like, you've got a kid that's under serious duress, bad, stressful situation. You've got a kid that is the happiest kid in the world because he gets to go to Disney world. Yeah. As far as what's happening physiologically is very similar. It's the perception and how we, how we see that and how that translates into the rest of our body and the cascade of the things that happen afterwards. Yeah. So it's the same kind of situation with food. So would we ever thought about now with that study, it's a little bit different, but like it's not necessarily the perception of food, but it's the state of mind that we are in when we go into eating that meal. Yeah. Because like you look at uh, like, this is bodybuilders are not always the best examples because like they're, but at the same time, they're also tremendous examples because they'll do anything. Oh, bro. Right. Like I think a lot of stuff starts with bro science, right? Of course. Like, I, like I, I'm all about the bro science and people can call it a negative thing. Be like, oh, you're all about the bro science. You know oh, what? They're the, they're the head of the spear. Dude, the, the, the bros are willing to do whatever like they don't care like they'll they will put their life on the line for a half an inch more bicep that's as good as you're gonna get in terms of a willing volunteer to actually like test something because you're not going to get the like the large cohort of people to go into a metabolic ward starve themselves and then uh you know eat a dog turd to see if they grow right but bodybuilders will i'll test it if i have a risk of actually like getting some inches on my pecs then fuck yeah you ever drink your own piss yeah i did not but i knew i know that's a thing it's not that bad so well, all right <laughs> so i guess my point with that is like when you look at bodybuilders they finish the bodybuilding show they've been destroying themselves with a cut right and then they go into like a week of cheat meals afterwards and although maybe they do cause some metabolic damage the lion's share of the people that do that end up coming out of that like they look better the week after their show than they did during their show because they relaxed and the perception of the food they're eating was as a reward and they really yeah. got something out of it. So many people are a slave to the, to the food they're eating. Oh, I have to eat. Yeah. Compared it's, to like, I think that celebration thing, again, I realize that we're in a little bit in, in like the consciousness metaphysical space, which I think I'm, I personally am accepting it. I'm like, I think this is really important. I'm excited to have conversations like that. But something that I've noticed within myself is a lack of celebration of life, you know, and, and it's kind of like, okay, what do I need to do today? Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. And it's almost like I'm a slave to my fucking to-do list, you know, and, and but it's like, there's another side of the coin that's just sitting there the whole time of like, I'm only alive for all I know one, you know, I only get one shot at this. Like, what do I really need to do in this situation? Like, there's another perspective available of, of it actually being a form of a celebration and also having like working really hard and doing really hard things and having really hard conversations and being in the celebration of the opportunity to get to do that hard shit. Like, there's a balance of that. And I think when someone comes from the perhaps hears that perspective of like, oh, celebrate, like, oh, what are you going to just like sit on your couch and like be happy? It's like, no, no, no. It's like do really hard shit and also be grateful as you do it. Like, I think that's a really beautiful sweet spot. Yeah. And I think if you can be in a place where you do actually enjoy the stuff that you do, then you're able to lean into harder things. But if you're continually martyring yourself and you're continually in this place of almost like enslavement to, to your to-do list, 
it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Like your diet's not sustainable. Your workout's not sustainable. Yeah. I don't care what you do for six months. I do not care. It's like, I want to, let's talk in 10 years. Where are you at? And then, and, and if, 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 if that's your intention or, or 50 years or 80 years, like, where are you at then? Like, that's the diet I care about diet, like in quotations, diet I care about. That's the lifestyle choices. That's the, the workout regime. And if you don't have that celebratory, like, yeah, like I get to do this element. It, I think it'd be very hard for most things to be sustainable unless you're just, you know, you just grit your teeth and fucking, you know, yeah, but you that's, can grind through anything. You can only do that for so long. I, I mean, think I'm sure, I'm sure there's some people that can just grit their teeth through and through all of life. But and then you die and you're, yeah. and you probably look back and you're like, Oh shoot. Yeah. I did it wrong. Yep. <laughs> I think yeah. that's I mean, every, everyone has that, that <laughs> moment, right. Where there's just like something shifts for them, you know? And it's, yeah. Like you can only, I always say you can only like prefrontal cortex your way through so much of life before that just gets exhausting, man. Yeah. Like that's just draining. The human wants to feel. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's definitely, like I enjoy the process of hard work. I enjoy pain. I really do. Weirdly. That doesn't mean that I want to like endure all the time though. Like I, it, like I, I'm smart enough to know that like being in pain all the time isn't going to get me where I want to go. But I also have learned to change my relationship with pain to a point where like I kind of embrace it. And I mean like the, the physical pain of really hard shit. Um, not because I know there's growth out of it, but because I actually kind of like it. I feel alive with it and I feel good with it. And I think that's abnormal. I don't, I, I don't expect other people to feel that way. But I also am aware that if, I'm, if, I, if I recognize that, and I'd be cognizant of it, then it can be beneficial and it can be a tool for me rather than a detriment. And I want to feel more than anything, whether that is feeling pain, whether that's feeling love, whether that's feeling joy and pain is just another feeling for me. And rather than trying to hide from pain, I just lean into it feel mm -hmm. it. And it's like you lean into sadness when you're really sad and like, it's okay to fucking cry like a little girl sometimes. Right. But it's, the same with pain. Like it's okay to like scream in pain and be in pain. If you know, deep down that you're like leaning into it for the right reasons, that doesn't mean you go like cut yourself, stuff like that. Like obviously people do that too, as a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about just being aware of how you feel. I want to take a moment and share the morning ritual that I've stuck with for the last year. That is crawling out of bed, walking to the kitchen and pouring myself a glass of AG1. I learned about this originally from Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's been drinking this stuff for the last decade or so. And I am also a massive fan of the product. Why I like it is it blends several different supplements that I would take anyway. So it is a probiotic and prebiotic as well as a multivitamin and also a mineral supplement. It is the highest sourced ingredients. It tastes absolutely delicious. I notice a measurable change in my energy and my mood and it is a gratifying sensation to know that I'm starting the day by covering my micronutrient baselines. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a great time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. To get this, all you got to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash align. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S.com slash align. I'm incredibly confident you guys are going to love this stuff. Go check it out. Athleticgreens.com slash align.
want to take a moment to share something that I think is an invaluable tool to have inside any person's nutritional toolkit, i.e. their cabinet, that is exogenous ketones. If you are a person that wants to be more productive, that wants to have greater clarity of mind, or if you're just a fan of generally feeling really freaking good, exogenous ketones are a path toward that sensation. I've been suspicious of exogenous ketones, historically speaking, because they have been very expensive and they tasted pretty terrible. Well, there is now a solution for that that is called Ketone IQ from HVMN. I freaking love this stuff. I take it before every podcast. I love taking it before I go for a run on an empty stomach and it makes me feel satiated. It makes me feel productive. It makes me feel almost euphoric uh, and it's good stuff. I think it is supportive for anybody to have as a tool for times that you need a little extra boost of energy and you can get yourself 20% off by going to hvmn.me slash align and then use the promo code align-20 to get your 20% discount on the product. So they are affordable already, plus you get the 20% discount. So I highly recommend checking that out. Also, they will be sold nationwide at all Sprouts locations across the country starting April 1st. But if you want to get that 20% discount, go to hvmn.me slash align and use promo code align-20 at checkout to get 20% discount. They have 100% money back guarantee you will love this stuff i hope you enjoy <sighs> we gotta wrap up soon what it's do you fine. Th- hungry what do you yeah what do you uh um, fasting for a year even even fasting hard today no, i wouldn't say i've been fasting i just i probably oh cons- we did have some snacks i probably consumed like 400 calories today at I, the end of the day. I appreciate you very much i really greatly appreciate your um your breadth of knowledge and the just vast amount of work that you've invested in understanding all of the biomedical, biochemical research and just you've gone so deep in that world while also maintaining a little bit of a freak flag, you know, and like <laughs> o- like open to exploration and open to not knowing, you know, and open to correcting yourself when you, you know, you were wrong at one point and you're like, oh, well, I don't agree with that anymore. I think that's such an invaluable quality for a person to, de- to develop within themselves so thanks for making time to do this yeah hell yeah is there anything else that i mean there's a hopefully we just get to do this again because there's a lot of other stuff i'd like to talk about um but is there anything else that would be you'd like to share nah but everyone after this podcast everyone should click it off and call their mom call their mom dude. call your mom yeah yeah feel yeah i think that's the thing why aren't we talking about that yeah in the in the nutritional and like the exercise like yeah well what should people do from here call your mom go buy your book go check out youtube do you care about any stuff uh, before i mean yeah they could do it if they <laughs> do what you want if they want to but more importantly call your mom and go for a walk do those two things and if you feel like checking out my youtube channel that, that's fine that's on you but more importantly go, yeah call your mom and go for a walk go for a walk and call your mom while you're walking yeah look up yeah that'd be a good one that'd be a damn good one all right Thank you so much. You bet, buddy. This is an amazing day. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. That's it. That's all. I'll see you next week. That conversation, I want to invite you over to Align Podcast YouTube channel to catch clips from the podcast that I handpick, as well as instructional content that we release each week on how to support that sweet, supple, 
body of yours. If you want to get stronger, if you want to get more flexible, if you've got some back pain, neck pain, hip impingement, we got you at the Alliant Podcast YouTube page. Feel free to share this conversation on Instagram. You can tag myself at Alliant Podcast. You can tag Thomas at Thomas DeLauer. Also jump over and check out Thomas's YouTube page. He's got like three and a half million subscribers or something stupid like that. So he does a phenomenal job. He works very hard and I'm very grateful to get to share uh, this conversation with you guys here today. So thank you for doing you. I hope this was supportive. I'll see you next week.